The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a very interesting show coming up today, a little different than I usually do. I have two of what I believe will be very wonderful guests for you to listen to. My first guest is Amelia uh, Boomker. Up until this week, Amelia has held the world's record for the most amount of milk donated Amelia actually is in the book of Guinness, the, the Guinness Book of World Records at this moment. I also have with us my other special guest, Kim Updegrove, who is from the Milk Bank in Texas. Welcome, Amelia. Thank you. Good and Kim, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am delighted that both of you can be here. So we're going to talk today about actually sort of one thing, but from two different perspectives. Amelia is a mother of four breastfed children. And as you know, she has donated a ton of milk. I'll let you tell her, I'll let her tell her own story. And then I'm going to ask her to address her experiences as a donor to the Donor Human Milk Bank. And then I'm going to ask Kim to speak a little bit about other donors and the whole idea of the recipient, although clearly in Amelia's case, her uh, her child was getting her own milk, but of course that's different. So at any rate, Amelia, up until very shortly ago, I'm thinking within the week or so, you have held the Guinness Book of World Records for the most amount of milk donated. Amelia, how much milk did you donate uh, to the milk bank? Well, the world record was for 16,321 U.S. fluid ounces. 16,000 ounces. Yeah, and that was all donated to the Indiana Mother's Milk Bank. Oh, so that doesn't count the milk that you also donated to the Raleigh Milk Bank earlier, correct? That's correct. There was another 7,000 ounces that wasn't counted. Yes. And on the 16,000, I'm not very good at math, but I'm thinking that's about 5,000 milliliters. Is that right? No, that would not be right because it's the other way around. It's a lot. 482 liters. 482 liters. Okay, very good. Uh, Because I know that we also have some friends in the... the, um, countries where they use metrics. So I wanted to make that quick transition. So uh, I'd just like for everyone to know 
that Amelia is the mother of these four sons. Her eldest is Danny. She also has Liam, Ryan, and Connor. And she told me a little bit about the stories of all of the babies. But of course, her firstborn was Danny. And Danny was born with a hypoplastic lung. Uh, I will remind listeners that we had a show where we talked to mothers who had children with hypoplastic heart, or excuse me, if I said lung, I meant heart. I'm sorry. Um, I will remind listeners that we had a show where we talked to mothers who had children with hypoplastic hearts. So I won't repeat all of that, but basically a hypoplastic left heart syndrome is when the left side of the heart can't pump effectively to the uh, pump blood to the body. Uh, so the right side of the heart must pump blood to both the lungs and to the rest of the body. Amelia, you told me that you wanted to pump milk for Danny. And as I understood your story, it seems that you started pumping for Danny only like a few hours or, or was it within a day or so of when he was born? Can you enlighten us about that? Well, um, Danny's heart was... Um not doing too well during the delivery, so I had an emergency C-section. So I didn't get a chance to really um, wake up fully that day, mostly. So I didn't get a chance to start producing milk or pumping until the second day when he was already second transferred day. out of the, to the children's hospital. Uh-huh. And then Danny was even, uh, at that point, unable to take your milk through a bottle, right? That's correct. Danny was intubated at about 12 hours after the birth. Uh-huh. So basically, you started out right with the idea that here you were pumping milk for this baby who could not immediately have it. Yes, um, but we had known um, prenatally that he was, he was diagnosed with this at 19 weeks into the pregnancy. So we had some prepare or had some time to mentally prepare. So I knew, you know, I didn't realize he was going to be transferred away at a day old, but sure. I knew that there was going to be a, definitely a time period where I would not be able to nurse him. So, Amelia, many babies who have Danny's kind of heart defect have the Norwood procedure, which um, typically that's three stages of reconstruction or more simply put, really three different surgeries. So how old was Danny when he had his first surgery? Danny was four days old at his first surgery, so the morning after I got out of the birth hospital. Wow. And so tell me this. Uh, how did that affect your? How did that affect your feeling about pumping for this this little baby? Well, um, I knew that he needed every bit of help he could get. Uh, yes. The more the mortality rate of the Norwood for the first stage of the surgery is about you get about seventy five percent survival rate. And I'm like, oh, wow. you know, anything I can do to help, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to do it. So. You know, I started pumping when he was already gone and, you know, kept pumping. Even the day of the first surgery was about eight hours. So I'd pump every two and a half hours or so during the surgery. I was sitting in a wheelchair in the waiting room and they'd wheel uh, me into the, uh, <laughs> the side uh, room and I'd go ahead and pump and, you know, it was the only thing I could do. I mean, you feel kind of helpless at that point because you're a parent, but how he does helpless. is out of our hands. Yes, yes. And so what really motivated you to keep pumping despite the fact that you knew that Danny was not going to be at breast for a long time and in the back of your mind you might might have wondered maybe never? 
What kept you motivated? Well, I knew that breast milk was a boost to the immune system. And with the surgeries, his immune system was compromised. Yes. I mean, it takes a lot of... Uh, it takes a lot of energy for the body to recover from something like this, and he was not going to be able to fight off most infections, and the breast milk would at least certainly help that. Um, so I thought, well, I can do this, and I'm going to do it as well as I can to get him, you know, as as much antibodies as possible to help him survive. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. But as I understand it, the heart defect and the surgery weren't Danny's only problems. Uh, as as the time went on, as I'm guessing probably in the month or so neighborhood, the doctors also diagnosed him as having an allergy to cow's milk allergy, and you were, at the time, eating dairy products and pumping your milk for Danny. Tell us how this worked. Well, we have a family milk allergy, but I don't really react very much to it. But uh-huh. Danny was still in the hospital. He didn't come home until he was six weeks old. So um, they had been um, supplementing or fortifying, is a better term, my breast milk with uh, progestamil, which is a, a formula that's broken down more, but it's still milk-based. The reason sure. they do this is to increase the calories for every ounce of breast milk he took. I'd like to remind everybody uh, that Danny is, what, nine years old now? Yes. Okay, so th- so therefore, listeners should understand that the management for, for a child now would not necessarily uh, be exactly the same. And uh, after lactation was fully established, how much milk were you producing in a day? I was producing about 50 ounces a day when wow. it was about wow. you know, three months old. Uh-huh. So. And... Was Danny able to take soft or solid or semi-solid foods around six months or so, like most children? No, Danny didn't uh, even sit up until he was almost 10 months old. Uh Uh, As soon as he started sitting up, we did start trying to give him soft foods. But, you know, at that point, he was already, you know, he was still weak. Uh, Even when he didn't even get a chance to take a bottle until he was six months old, because he was fed by NG tube, uh-huh. he didn't have the energy to even take, you know, a bottle. So he was, his feeds have never been great, but the the milk that he got was as highly calorie fortified as they could make it. So. Now tell me this, you live in the greater Chicago area, so at least with Danny, I know it was different with the other boys, but at least with Danny, uh, the the nearest milk bank would have been Iowa, but you donated the milk to the milk bank in North Carolina. Uh, how How so? How did that happen? Well, when we discovered the milk allergy, um, I had all this frozen milk in the freezer, and it was kind of a, well, he can't have that now. So the nurses in the PSHU, the Pediatric Surgical Heart Unit, uh-huh. said, well, you could try donating it. So was that I went news online. To you? What was that? Was that news to you? Yes, you I had never heard, heard about, I uh-huh. never heard about donation. Before. Well, actually, it's not entirely true, but I didn't know it was still available. Gotcha. Um, uh-huh. my, uh, my mother had actually <laughs> donated to a local LHA League milk bank back when I was a child. <laughs> yes, but, uh, uh-huh. I didn't, you know, that was, as far as I could tell, not around since all of the uh, the bloodborne illnesses and stuff had been 
identified in the 80s. It just it wasn't you know I there it just didn't exist anymore in the local area. So um, I Kim, I went online hey. and found the HMBANA.org. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, the Human Milk Banking Association of North America website, and uh-huh. I saw a listing of, okay, here's where the milk banks are. Now, there was nothing Chicago, but the closest was Iowa, as you said. But when I um, contacted them and saw on their website, they wouldn't accept milk that was shipped. So I would have had to drive it from Chicago to Iowa. Yes. So, um- I'd like to ask Kim a a question here, which is, Kim, we've only got about a minute remaining, but can you briefly address why some of the Humbana milk banks will accept it one way and others don't accept it that way? I'm a little confused by that. Thanks, Marie. The the Human Milk Banking Association in North America is the umbrella organization for nonprofit milk banks, and there are 15 in the United States right now. Each milk bank must follow the same safety guidelines for how to screen a milk donor, process the milk, and dispense the milk. But the milk banks are individual businesses, and they have the opportunity to say um, from where they are willing to ship milk based on the expense of shipping from that area. So I imagine that was behind the decision at that time. One of Himbana's responsibilities is to help see milk banks expand so that moms like Amelia won't face the question of how far might she have to drive or uh, ship her milk at the milk bank's expense. But still, uh, it's mothers when they're very, very busy, even when their infants are healthy. I'm here with... Uh... Kim Updegrove from the uh, Donor Human Milk Bank and also with Amelia Boomker. Please uh, stay with us. We'll be right back after this short break. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you, too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that, too, through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. 
by N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your new angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here with two very exciting guests today. I have... Kim Updegrove from the Human Milk Banking Association of North America. She's located specifically in Texas. And I'm also here with Amelia Boomker, who up until very, very recently, like within the last week or so, has held the Guinness Book of World Records for the most amount of the most amount of milk donated to a human milk bank. Wow, that was a tongue twister. And so we were talking about uh, Amelia and her sick child and basically pumping and then realizing that she had this extra milk that had to go somewhere. And the nurse luckily suggested that she make a donation. So uh, I want to ask this then, under most circumstances, the milk bank accepts mother's uh, milk only during that first year after they've given birth. So am I understanding that you were pumping for your own children the first time you were pumping for Danny, but later you were pumping for your sons Liam, Ryan, and Connor, and you were doing all of that within the first year. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I actually, the least amount of time I pumped for one of them was 17 months. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so Amelia, did you just stay home, put your feet up and eat bonbons and uh, just pump all day long? No, I returned to work at eight weeks after well, each of the births. Uh, Kim, could you explain to us, because I get this question sometimes when I'm teaching my comprehensive lactation course, why won't the milk bank take milk after one year? So it turns out that your body, when it produces milk, is very smart and knows how long it's been since you gave birth. And the milk is changing to meet the needs of your own biological child. So it is decreasing its immunological properties over time. And it's changing its growth factors and other components in the milk that are useful for your child. Milk banks predominantly take care of preterm infants who are typically three and a half pounds or less, and they need milk that is loaded with immunological properties. So that's why donors can only donate their milk up until one year of age. But would I be correct to assume that if your milk bank stores, if that's the right word, if you were low on milk, and you had a mother who was, say, 14 or 15 months postpartum, would you then accept it under certain circumstances? Yes. So that's a good point. If the supply of milk is so low that we don't have enough of the optimal milk for these tiny babies, any milk, any human milk, is better than any other breast milk substitute for these babies. So we take older milk. 
And another question that I get very frequently, Kim, is uh, if the milk has been frozen for more than six months, will you still accept it? Most milk banks will still accept milk beyond six months in the freezer, especially if it's been in a deep freezer. The milk is changing daily from the time of pumping onward. So we'd like to get it sooner rather than later. But again, any milk for these babies is best. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Amelia, tell us this. I am particularly impressed that you were able to produce so much milk. You were obviously freezing the milk as you went along. But you were you went back to paid employment at eight weeks, and you had a, a very small baby each time. So, so how did you accomplish all of this? How did you have enough milk for your own child, and pretty much enough milk to you know feed the world? How did you do that? Well, the uh, the lactation consultants at the birth hospital gave me tips on how to pump since I wasn't able to breastfeed, and they emphasized making sure to keep a good schedule. Yes. Um, consistency was very important. I set yes. multiple alarms throughout the house, especially overnight. I would pump initially every two hours during the day and two and a half hours during the night. Oh, now, wow. I could do that since I didn't actually have a baby at home the first six weeks because he was in the hospital. Oh, right, so, right. That was in some ways a little bit easier because I didn't have to, you know, deal with that. But um, that was still, you know, I never got a segment of sleep that was longer than two hours. Um, One thing I did was I set up six sets of pump horns so that I would only have to wash in the morning. Excellent. That's a great tip because really there's nothing wrong with that. So it sounds like you had more than one accessory kit. You called them the horns. Sometimes I hear them called shields. Sometimes I hear them called flanges, but I think we all know what you mean. And then you stored the milk in the freezer. I want to know, Amelia, how how big is your freezer? It's only 14 cubic feet, but it is a freezer, so... (laughs) Well, I'm trying to imagine all of this milk that's in your freezer. How did you actually store it? Well, what we would do is um, initially we got some of those um, Ross Hospital System four-ounce bottles, and those Uh we could fit 10 bottles into a gallon freezer bag. So we'd lay those flat with 10 in them, and we could stack them up against each other when we put them downstairs in the basement freezer. Uh, Similarly, after we decided to start bagging some, uh, we used the Lansano freezer bags, uh-huh, uh-huh. The double seal ones, and we'd lay them flat on the quick freeze shelf in the up, in the upstairs freezer, and uh-huh. then we'd once again bag them in a gallon freezer bags so we could pack between eight and ten of those into a single freezer bag, and then we could fit them four in a row and just build up stacking sure. as we went in the basement Excellent. freezer. So it's as compact as possible. And Kim, if a mother has been storing her milk, and let's say that she doesn't necessarily know that she's going to donate it to a milk bank, is there anything that would be, uh, I'm trying to think of what the right word would be, is there any kind of storage procedure or technique that would absolutely disqualify that milk? You know, the storage and the expression techniques for human milk, while they're intended to keep the milk as clean as possible from environmental contaminants, there aren't too many things that you can do wrong if you're following the pumping instructions and using sterile containers. 
Excellent. That's what I wanted to hear because sometimes I get that question of something along the lines of, well, I don't know. I don't know how they want it. I don't know if I did it right. I don't know this. I don't know that. And, and basically, your answer to that is it's pretty hard to do it wrong. Exactly. Unless you let it defrost and then refreeze it. <laughs> oh, well, yes. That good point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. It must that be is consistently frozen. Yes. To be consistently frozen. And also, somewhere I had uh, another question in there. Oops, I just forgot it. Okay, so sometimes I, I, sometimes I show my age. <laughs> um, Amelia, I cannot imagine what kind of dedication and determination this took. So what kept you motivated for literally years of expressing your milk to give to other people's children? Well, um, after I pumped until Danny's second birthday... Uh-huh. Uh, I knew, okay, well, I wanted to, you know, I've got to do this for my other kids. Not necessarily the two years, but, you know, <laughs> I need to give them as much as I can. And, well, I'd made it to two years with Danny. Let's see how long I can make it. So each time, you know, I pretty much just went and worked as hard as I could, and I made enough leftover that there was certainly more than enough for my children. <laughs> so I had wow. plenty to donate, too. Wow. That is just so fabulous. Uh, Kim, earlier when I talked with Amelia, she was telling me that, uh, I'm not sure that I can exactly paraphrase Amelia, but apparently some mothers have concerns or are turned away because they did not get their blood work done before they collected and donated the milk. Can you explain to us how this works? I mean, if I'm a mother and I suddenly just have a whole ton of milk in my freezer and I decide to to donate it, well, gee, I didn't have my blood work done first because I really wasn't planning on doing this. Can you explain to us how how does that that work? Oh, actually, um, many of the milk donors contact the milk banks after they already have a good amount of milk stored in their freezer. And so they haven't had blood work done since their prenatal visits with their OBGYN or midwife. And it's fine for the milk bank then to order blood work as long as the donor is willing to go get her blood work done at a local lab at the milk bank's expense, we'll test the mom for HIV, HTLV, syphilis, and hepatitis B and C. So she can get it done at that time. That's not a problem. The number one reason to turn away a for milk, she was on some medications that transfer into milk and would be dangerous for our tiny recipients. Uh, okay. So it seems like then you try to be as flexible as you possibly can be in terms of understanding that if the woman had her lab work done prenatally, basically she just gets it repeated when she wants to donate. Am I getting that right? Yes, that's exactly right. And that's the reason why becoming a milk donor can take a minimum of four days because it takes that length of time to get those blood test results back. Yes, yes. Uh, This is all so interesting because I think that many times because people haven't had an experience with either being the donor 
or having been a recipient of what the the milk bank can offer, some people just kind of get confused about uh, what would qualify them or disqualify them or whatever. And so sometimes I think that they are less eager to just jump in just because they don't understand. So it's been, uh, at least in my mind, really helpful that you can help us to clarify those things. Before we go to break today, I would just like to encourage everyone, please, to take a look at two things that I think will be important for you. They're on the the, uh, website, on the Voice America website, the Health and Wellness Channel. One is our friends at New Angel, who have a wonderful array of products for baby, many of which are 100% cotton, one of my favorite fabrics, and all made in the USA. I would also suggest that you take a look at uh, our friends, the Pump and Pal, who have uh, a very unusual product for being able to uh, pump your milk in a way that has the uh, breast flange fit very precisely and very comfortably. You'd want your baby to have the correct latch. You'd want to have a correct fit for your flange. Check out, check it out, and don't go away. I will be back. I'm Marie Biancuzzo with Born to be Breastfed. I will also be back with our guest today, Kim Updegrove from the Milk Bank and Amelia Boomker, who has been a donor. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Breastfeeding moms rely on the use of a breast pump for those times they are away from their little one. The most important aspect of pumping is having the correct flange. That's the part that comes in contact with mom. Only Pump and Pal offers a pump flange engineered to be more comfortable and more effective. That means more milk in less time. This revolutionary design can also reduce a mom's chance of getting plugged ducts, mastitis, or even tissue damage. Get a complete set of all sizes of Super Shield flanges and other pumping accessories at pumpandpal.com. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. 
Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I have with me today Amelia Boonker, who has held up until very recently the world, uh, the Guinness Book of World Records for the amount of milk donated to a human milk bank. And my other guest is Kim Updegrove, who is at the milk bank, and I'd like to start out with Kim this time and ask her, Kim, repeat for us briefly, if you will, what the Humbana stands for and tell us just a teeny bit about how many milk banks there are and which one you're located at. Banking Association of North America. It is the umbrella organization overseeing nonprofit milk banking in the United States and Canada. It is the organization that makes sure that the way that milk donors are screened and that milk is processed to make it safe for preterm babies is evidence-based and consistent across all banks. I'm the executive director at the Mother. Austin, Texas. So you are in Texas? Yes. Yes. Are you just outside of Austin? I'm actually in central Austin, where we've been for the last 15 years. Okay. I don't know my geography that that well. But anyway, so so tell me this. Uh, you've spoken about, for instance, many of the recipients being premature babies, although clearly it could be other babies as well. But my question would be, uh, the preemies, okay, we kind of get those, but um, why can't mothers provide milk for their own babies? What might be some common circumstances? So there are circumstances where we have to say to a pregnant mother that we would like to deliver her child early in order to either treat the mother and her medical complications or treat the unborn infant and that infant's complications. So if the mother, for instance, is diagnosed with cancer during pregnancy, we would like to deliver her baby as soon as that baby is old enough to likely survive. And then we treat the mother with her chemotherapy and other agents that would make her milk unsuitable for her own baby or for any other baby. Other mothers who give birth to infants who um, are either preterm or like Amelia's firstborn are born with some medical complications. When those infants are born, the mothers are enormously stressed and often separated from the infants as Amelia was from Danny. And that separation and stress actually interrupts the cascade of hormones necessary to create an adequate and appropriate milk supply. 
I would say that was very, very succinctly stated. So then how exactly does one become a milk donor? To be a milk donor, you have to go through a screening process similar to becoming a blood donor. So healthy, lactating, compassionate mothers who have given birth less than a year ago call any one of the nonprofit milk banks, and they're screened verbally for medical and lifestyle risk factors, risk factors that might lead them to relay viruses or bacteria via their breast milk that might be um, unsafe for a recipient of her milk. She then fills out paperwork that's very similar to that verbal a series of interview questions. She obtains blood work at the milk bank's expense for HIV, HTLV, syphilis, and hepatitis B and C. And then she signs two medical release forms allowing us to contact her prenatal care and one allowing us to contact her about her pediatricians or about her baby's health rather. And only when all of that data is in does it get reviewed and she gets approved or what we call deferred. Uh, deferred meaning that she is not appropriate to donate either temporarily or permanently. Uh, Amelia, what was your first, what was your recollection of your first encounter with calling the milk bank and saying, hey, I'm, I'm interested in donating? Do you remember how that went? Uh, which milk bank do you mean? Do you mean calling the Wakeman Milk Bank? Either one. <laughs> okay, well, when I first contacted Wakeman and I told them I was pumping dairy-free, they were thrilled. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, because there aren't a lot of uh, donors who are on special diets to, to specifically limit allergens from their milk. Um, so, you know, once I got going, they had me filling liter bottles <laughs> And returning those, you know, 13, 14 to a cooler. Um, but that was Wake Med's policy. None, Indiana never sent me liter bottles. <laughs> okay. Um, so. Well, I think what I meant was, what was your interaction when you made that call and said, I'm interested in donating? Did they pretty much give you an overview of what just, Kim just said? Um, how did that work? Well, they sent me the uh, the paperwork that had essentially that information and the questionnaire that Kim had mentioned. Okay. So I filled that out, sent it back. Um, I didn't have any of the issues, obviously. And uh, they sent me uh, uh, information to go get my blood drawn, and I had that done at the local hospital, and then it, that got shipped to them to do the testing. So it was. I really didn't have any trouble with WakeMed in terms of, you know, it was very fast to become a donor. Huh? They knew I already had several hundred ounces and they were eager to get it. I bet. So. I bet. And you mentioned, for example, that when you, understanding that you live in the greater Chicago area, that you uh, donated the um, the milk for your, the milk that you produced during your second lactation experience to the milk bank in Indiana. Was the experience different? And the answer is yes, because you weren't actually shipping it overnight, correct? Uh, well, I was still shipping it, but it was a little bit different. WakeMed okay. sent me coolers with overnight FedEx labels, okay. so I would uh -huh. just sorry call for FedEx to 
come pick it up from my front porch. So I didn't need to put any dry ice or anything like that. Um, but when I shipped to Indiana, um, they needed me to go purchase dry ice. It needed to be shipped at the UPS store, so it had to be there with the dry ice packed and ready to go before their um, 6.30 p.m. pickup. <laughs> so so I think I want to jump in crunch. here and say this is sort of a throwback to what Kim helped us to understand in the first segment. And Kim, correct me if I'm over-paraphrasing, but it seems to me that you said that the primary responsibility, the primary aim of the milk bank is to provide safety. But the actual ins and outs of the practicality of getting it there and so forth, that's really up to each milk bank. So it's safety is for all, but the practical mechanisms might in fact be different as uh, as Amelia is telling us, correct? That's a fair statement, yes. Okay. So Amelia, tell me this. Uh, did you ever encounter some things where that you would say were sort of deterrents or obstacles well, to the donation process? Sometimes I had trouble obtaining dry ice. Not every place sells it, um, especially during the heat of the summer. You might run out. So, I, Where would you be most likely to find it? Uh, I would... Sometimes I was able to get it at ice cream stores. <laughs> okay. But in general, I had to wait for it to come in to the local Meyer store, which is a grocery store in the Chicago yeah. uh-huh. area, Midwest area. Yeah. So well. if they didn't have any, and there were a few Meyers around here that I would call each of them before I would go, do you have any today? Do you have any today? Do you have any today? Um, and sometimes everybody was out. So I simply couldn't oh. ship that week. And Kim, would she have had any alternative if she didn't have the dry ice? Ice is a is an issue, but there is an alternative. So, each of the coolers of milk, and purchase the little frozen ice packs that you might pack your picnic lunch with. Yes, uh-huh. and put one on each side of the cooler, and that will keep the already frozen milk still frozen overnight until it reaches the milk bank. It has to stay for. So that is a safety issue, but there are some alternatives to dry ice. So Amelia, or excuse me, Kim, I think I missed part of that. Are you saying that those, what I call blue ice bricks, are you saying those are or are not equivalent to the dry ice? So the blue ice... um, frozen uh, gel that you might put in are appropriate to put in milk that you're shipping to a milk bank as long as you have one pack on each side. That way you Amelia, did you run into any other issues with uh, ever donating? Did you, did you ever have a ton of milk and maybe you weren't able to get it there or, or they weren't able to accept it? Yes. Um, later on, uh, especially during my last, uh, my pumping for my last child, the uh, Indiana Mother's Milk Bank opened milk depots in the Chicagoland area, but they had a limited amount of freezer space. They could only <laughs> accept as much, you know, as they could fit until they shipped out because they didn't ship out until they had a certain amount. So often I would call because I had to do my um, drop-offs on Saturdays. So by that time, I would run into, oh, our freezer's full. We can't accept it now. 
Oh, so wow. sometimes I'd have to wait several weekends before they had enough freezer space for me to do my drop off if I needed to drop off like a thousand ounces. So yes, that, yes. So the answer is yes. There are some obstacles that maybe we wouldn't necessarily anticipate or like to believe are there, but in fact that's an absolute possibility because it's just the practicality of the matter. This has been so interesting, folks. Don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuzzo with Born to Be Breastfed. I will be right back, and we will be talking more with Kim Updegrove from the Milk Bank and with Amelia Boomker, who has been a phenomenal donor to the Milk Bank. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton-washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA by N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your new angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. Breastfeeding moms rely on the use of a breast pump for those times they are away from their little one. The most important aspect of pumping is having the correct flange. That's the part that comes in contact with mom. Only Pump and Pal offers a pump flange engineered to be more comfortable and more effective. That means more milk in less time. This revolutionary design can also reduce a mom's chance of getting plugged ducts, mastitis, or even tissue damage. Get a complete set of all sizes of Super Shield flanges and other pumping accessories at pumpandpal.com. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuzzo with Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Kim Updegrove and Amelia Boomker. Just before we left for break, we were talking about some of the obstacles that Amelia encountered when she had plenty of milk, but in fact wasn't actually able to get it to the milk bank for one reason or another. Kim, can you help us with this a little bit? Uh, what? How can you respond to that? I realize that you didn't work at either one of the milk banks that she actually donated to, but can you help us to understand this a little bit better? 
Sure. I, uh, I can explain a little bit about why the milk banks have standards in place for shipping milk frozen and what that sometimes looks like for people. Moms who are donating their milk are on a 24-hour schedule. They're sleep-deprived. They're taking care of a child at least, if not multiple children. So they're very busy, and it's our intent to make shipping our delivery as easy as possible. But there are only 15 milk banks in the U.S., so that means that if you're in a state that doesn't have a milk bank, you sometimes have to pack up your milk in coolers we provide and either wait for FedEx to come to your doorstep or bring your package to a FedEx or UPS shipping facility. And you also might have to obtain some dry ice or some ice packs for that milk. So those are additional tasks that on top of being compassionate about donating your milk, you might have to be sent around your town to try to find those supplies in that facility. It's a gift of clear compassion to these needy infants. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I think maybe, uh, Kim, my question would be, if I suddenly win the lottery tomorrow, why should I put my money, my time, my energy behind milk banks? And should we grow more than 15 for a country as big as the U.S.? Exactly. So if you win the lottery tomorrow, you should donate to a milk bank so that we can open milk banks in every single state in the United States so that women have an accessible milk bank to donate their milk. And so that needy babies, the smallest being one pound, sometimes in the neonatal intensive care unit, will always have a ready supply of safe donor human milk. Amelia, having done this many, many times now, what would be your advice to other mothers about donating? Uh, Well, my first thought would be um, make sure that you, <laughs> I'm, I'm really not sure what you're asking. I've... Well, I think that part of it is they ask you, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is my understanding that the mother must commit to shipping a minimum amount of milk. Is that correct? That is true, but it's usually a pretty um, low amount. Usually it's like 100 ounces or so. Okay. So anything that you're able to donate, you know, past that 100 ounces, the milk bank's from what I can tell, really love the little donor, too. It's not like they only want to get the people who are <laughs> donating 1,000, 2,000, yes. 10,000 ounces. They want any, you know, you can donate 200, that's wonderful. So, and so don't, so don't think you I've got to be an overproducer to get to do this. <laughs> would you, I, I think maybe this is my question, and I'm sorry if I wasn't clear, but I think really my question partly is, would you encourage that mother to go ahead and make that commitment that no amount is too little or too too insignificant. Definitely. Yes. What was the most satisfying thing to you about donating so much milk? Well, there was one um, specific recipient when I was donating to WakeMed. They had one child who needed milk-free or dairy-free milk, and uh, their his mother actually gave the contact info so that I would have it, so I could contact her. Um, 
for him, we actually donated till I was 14 months. And that was because her son was bilateral cleft lip and palate, plus he had the uh-huh. milk allergy. So I was pretty much giving all of my donated milk. It was getting processed and going straight to her wow. <laughs> because I was their only milk-free donor at WakeMed at the time. So I got to know her and got to follow her son, and it was it was wonderful. I mean, even uh, after yes. the donation um, process to the milk banks was over, um, he had another small problem after his second surgery and she flew up here and I gave her two coolers. Wow. <laughs> wow. And Kim, I know that- if I'm, if I'm <laughs> a mother right now listening to this show and if I live out in the middle of nowhere and I don't even know where my nearest milk bank is, but I want to donate my milk, what should I do? Where should I start? Well, every healthy lactating mother should go online, look up, the Hembana website, which is www.hnbana.org, and under a button called Locate the Nearest Milk Bank, you'll see the list of milk banks throughout the North American continent. Call the one closest to you, and you can be a lifesaver when you're approved as a donor. That is fabulous. Uh, Kim, what's the most gratifying thing about working at the milk bank? I'm a nurse midwife, so I used to deliver these babies, and Uh most gratifying to me is watching these infants survive purely because they received human milk. When their mothers couldn't provide it, the milk banks provided passionate gifts donors like Amelia. Wow. That's got to be a real, real special moment. Well, as always, these... Uh, evenings go by way, way too fast. I'd like to thank my guest today, Kim Updegrove from the Human Milk Banking Association of North America. She is an executive director at one of those 15 banks. I would also like to thank Amelia Boomker, who up, up until last week was in fact the holder of the Guinness Book of World Records for the most amount of milk donated to a human milk bank, I would like to encourage all of you to think about, is this something that you could do for some child who is unknown to you, but who is really special to his own family? I'd just like you to think about that. I would like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. And I'd like to invite all of you to come back next week. Please visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com. And by the way, if you're listening live right now, I'd just like to tell you that that is really under construction. We're going to be doing a massive overhaul in the next, uh, actually in the next few days because it's almost ready to go live. And I'd like you to notice what's coming up next week. And If you're interested in professional continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. Again, that website is borntobebreastfed.com. If you're a mother and listening to the radio, if you're a professional and you're interested in taking one of our professional courses, that website is www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. 
I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I promise I'll help to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.